okay. This Thanksgiving feels more normal to me. I don't know about you. I was at a family Thanksgiving yesterday. Uh, and I got thinking about the years in the past of cramming in as many Thanksgivings into a weekend as possible. So I was trying to think. Uh, online, you can leave it in the comments. In person, you can show a raise of hands. How many Thanksgivings have you ever crammed into a Thanksgiving weekend? I think we tap out at three. Matt, can you think of it? Yeah, he feels confident at three. Anybody can, can anybody raise me from a three? Anybody done four Thanksgivings in a weekend? No? It's Tracy, Pastor Tracy just said that. Oh, the Sousas have a four. See? Sometimes you just get them all in. I, maybe that doesn't happen now in COVID times. It's more reserved. But uh, that was a lot of turkey that year we did three. Did you have turkey at each one, Jack? Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. Like, I love me some turkey, but that's a lot of turkey in one weekend. Uh, Thanksgiving can be really, really fun. You get to connect with family members you don't see all the time. You get to eat yummy turkey and pumpkin pie, which I think is disgusting, but I'll let that go for now. Uh, apple pie, which is not disgusting, but it can also be exhausting. It can be exhausting. The prepping of the meals, the seeing of the family, and if you don't have family, if your Thanksgiving doesn't look like what you wished it did, that's also exhausting in itself. For some, Thanksgiving is just the best time of year, and for others, it leaves you working through a myriad of emotions of old hurts, new hurts, past hurts, and you think, I could have just eaten a cheeseburger at home, and this would have been just fine. There is that that comes into the mix. Uh, family can be a source of incredible joy. It is, it should be a source of incredible joy, but it can also come with a lot of baggage, a lot of hurt, a lot of feelings and emotions. And that fits very nicely into what we're going to talk about today. Uh, where you came from factors into how you view yourself in a lot of ways. Who you are, how you grew up, all of those things. So I grew up in a small town from Petrolia. Uh, when we were living there, there was like, I want to say 4,500 people. Is that? Yeah, okay. Uh, Pastor Tracy and uh, Arlene also lived there, so that's why I was double-checking. It was a small town. So when I was younger, when we first moved away to Edmonton or when I would go to big cities like Chatham or something like that, Sarnia, I would be like, oh, I'm from, I'm from Petrolia, and I would say it like with that little bit of, I'm from Petrolia, I'm so sorry, it's a very small town, I'm a country bumpkin. And that formed me a little bit. Now, I loudly and proudly say I'm from Petrolia because it was a really great place to grow up, and I'm glad that I got to live there. But it changed me, it shaped me. Where I'm from has a part of who I am now. And that's true for most of us, where you grew up, how you grew up, shapes you into who you are today. And that can be really good. Like you can be from Petrolia where you, your mom could say, come home when the streetlights come on and she knew you were safe every single second. You could scrape your knee riding your bike and a stranger that you didn't know would say, I know your mom. Do you want me to take your bike and you home? And I said yes and got in the car and it was fine. She really did know my mom. It was totally fine. Don't do that, kids. Don't do that. But in Petrolia in the 80s, you could do that. Anyways. That might not be your experience. There's weight. You could have a myriad of things. You could come from a family history with abuse. You could come from a family home that was really strict or controlling. Maybe you grew up in a home with a family member or a parent that had chronic illness. That affects your life. Maybe you grew up with unfortunate events is what I'll call them. Um, divorce, trauma, death, job loss, poverty. Maybe you moved every second month and never laid down roots and you always feel like you're on the move. Maybe you grew up without a sense of security and safety. Maybe you were teased and bullied as a kid and you still see yourself as that kid that was teased and bullied. Maybe you grew up with a family with addiction, a house with chronic conflict, 
There can be households that are overly emotional and there can be households that are emotionally distant. All sing the song affects who we are, how we view the world, it's where we came from. I'm not going to sing the song this week. Pastor Tracy sang it last week. Uh, I'm not going to sing it, but you're going to think it in your head. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you're from or something like that. Uh, it's okay if it's in your head. It's in mine too. There are many factors about how we grew up. And I'm sure if you've been in church at any point in your life, you've heard the statement that God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for you. He has called you. He has set you apart. You are unique, and he loves you. And maybe you thought, yeah, but you don't know where I came from. That's true for everybody else, but that is certainly not true for me. I'll never be like, and then insert that ideal family uh, that you think of. For me, it was the Wellses growing up. Yeah, we're never going to be like the Wellses. That's just not going to be a thing. My family's lovely, but they're the ideal. That's what we're striving for. Maybe you have that family... I know, right? You didn't know that? I'm sorry. I, I wanted to be just like, I love you, Mom. I wanted to be just like you guys. I say that because my mom watches, so I have to say that. Yeah. Uh, if you've ever felt that way, I have the very, very best Bible story for you today. It is Josiah. He was a former king of Judah. He was the 16th king of Judah, actually. And he, we're going to just meet him today. So let's turn to second, he actually is in Second Kings 22 and Second Chronicles 34. If you didn't know this, Kings and Chronicles still tell the same biblical account, just with a little bit different perspective. So we're going to read from Chronicles 34 today, starting in verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David, not actually his father, his father. Father line, David. We'll just clear that up for you there. Uh, not turning aside to the right or to the left. Oh, sorry, it was Father David. In his 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles, and idols. Under his direction, the altars of Baal were torn down. He cut the pieces. He cut to pieces the incense altars that were above them and smashed the Asherah poles and the idols. These he broke to pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He burned the bones of the priests on their altars, and so he purged Judah and Jerusalem. In the towns of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali and the ruins around them, he tore down the altars and the Asherah poles and crushed the idols to powder and cut to pieces all the incense altars throughout Israel. And then he went back to Jerusalem. In the 18th year of Josiah's reign, to purify the land and temple, he sent... I'm not good with this name, Shaphath, son of Azaliah, and Messiah, the ruler of the city with Joaz, son of Joaz, the recorder, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. Thank you for bearing with me with those names. So let's do a quick recap of our king that we just met. At eight years old, he became king, which means his father died, obviously. At 16 years of age, he began to seek the Lord for himself. Uh, boys in this time frame, around 13, they were considered men. So three years after he became a man, he realized that he needed to seek the Lord for himself. At 20 years old, he set out to remove all the idols and false gods. And I love his zeal that we just read here. He didn't just tear them down. He, like, smashed them, burned them, crushed them, and then scattered them over the followers' graves. Like, he just, he was not kidding around with this. And then at 26 years old, he felt the need to purify the land and rebuild the temple of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was 20, I was still calling my mom to say, am I boiling the eggs, right? I put them in the water, and I turned it on, or do you boil them and then put them in? That's where I was at at 20, but we all develop in our own ways, so, you know, that's fine. You do you. Uh, so you might be wondering why I, we're talking about this wonderkind. He clearly did not have any issues in his life, and he grew up just fine. 
And that's true. He did grow up just fine. But I want to take a minute and introduce you to Josiah's father and grandfather, Manasseh and Amon. So Grandpa Manasseh, he was a real treat. And uh, all those altars that Josiah zealously tore down were there mostly from his ancestors, a lot of them from his grandpa, Manasseh. Uh, Manasseh, he, he's just great. This is the things that he did while he was king. He built up altars to other gods, and in fact, he tore down the temple of the Lord and set up altars to other gods in the temple of the Lord. That was a real treat. He sacrificed his own children on the altar um, to other gods, like, like sacrificed them, like not living anymore. Bad, really bad. Uh, he consulted mediums. He practiced witchcraft. He sought out omens. He did just all of the things that really you should not do. So that in Second Chronicles 33.9, it says this about Grandpa. But Manasseh led Judah and the people of Jerusalem astray so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. I don't know how familiar you are with the Old Testament, but if this king did more evil than the nations before, that was really, really bad. Like, they were bad before, so this was really, really bad. And then there was redemption. Manasseh was led into captivity, and through that experience, he realized he needed to repent and be made right before God, and he did. And he attempted to undo some of the damage he had done in his reign. Uh, and then we have Josiah's father, whose name was Amon. And this is uh, what Second Chronicles says about him. Second Chronicles 33, 22-23. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. Amon worshipped and offered sacrifices to all the idols Manasseh had made. But unlike his father Manasseh, he did not humble himself before the Lord. Amon increased his guilt. So that's where he came from. I thought we would just take a quick stroll today. Do you see my lovely chart? Uh, Josiah was the 16th king, as I said. And I thought we'd take a quick little stroll through his family history, through all of the kings of Judah. So Saul, David, and Solomon were the first three kings. And I have fun little smiley faces here. Are we ready? That are going to tell us. Oh, here we are. Okay, so Saul was a meh king. He did some good. He also did some bad. So he gets a neutral face. Uh, David, he was a good king. He followed the ways of the Lord, so he gets a smiley face. Uh, Solomon also gets a meh. He did some good, but he, you know, did some bad. And then we have, uh, oh, forgive me with these names, Reboim. Uh, he was not good. We have Abijah, who was not good. We have Asa. He was good. Oh, I lost my tape, guys. Okay, we have Jehoshaphat. I like saying that name for some reason. He did good. Uh, we have Jehoram, not, he's a sad face king. Uh, Isaiah, he's a sad face king. Uh, oh, Athaliah, uh, sad face king. Um, Joash, he was neutral, did some good, did some bad. We'll call him neutral. Uh, Amaziah, mm -hmm, he's also neutral there. Uh, Uzziah, he's neutral. We get a smiley face. Jotham did good in the eyes of the Lord. Ahaz, he did not do good in the eyes of the Lord. Hezekiah, he did good in the eyes of the Lord. Manasseh, we get a, oh, my tape, guys. We get a, a neutral face because we just read about him. I, he probably should get a sad face, but he did repent, so he gets a happy face. Uh, and then we have Amon. He gets a sad face. He did not do good in the eyes of the Lord. And then we have Josiah. And then I know our story ends here, but um, it just doesn't end well for uh, Judah. We'll just, we'll just finish out our chart here. It doesn't end well. There we go. That is the line of kings that Josiah came from. And if you will count... There are more sad and neutral faces than there are happy faces, which means more of the kings of Judah did 
wrong in the eyes of the Lord than did what was right. This is where our king came from. This is where Josiah came from. So consider your own past, your own family lines. Maybe some of the things I listed earlier apply to you. Consider how you grew up. It doesn't have to shape you. It doesn't have to. Josiah is the example here. It was more bad, but he chose good. Where you came from, no matter how bad it was, does not have to define your future and where you're going. There is a saying that I'm sure most of you know in our current um, cultural context, and it's this. When we know better, we do better. When we recognize unhealthy patterns and sin in our life, we do better. When we recognize that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, when he confronts us with sin, we go to him and make it right. But here's the most important part of that. When you know better, you do better. But it's not on your own. You can't do better on your own. You can't make it right on your own. When you know better, you do better by going to the Father and asking him to help you make it better. On our own, we are powerless to create lasting change. We can change a behavior. You can cut out sugar or carbs for a little while. I can't do those things, but other people can do those things. You can quit smoking. You can do some things. You can change some behaviors, but you are powerless to change the condition of your heart on your own. That is not something that we can do. You see, in uh, Romans 5, 6 to 8, it says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good, good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we know better, we go to the Father and ask him to transform our hearts and our lives so that we can do better. Once we invite Jesus to be a part of our lives, he starts us on a path that allows us to daily be transformed and be made like him. We are not condemned to repeat the mistakes of our past. That is not your future. You do not have to choose that. You do not have to walk in that because you have the ability to be set free. Where you come from and your past sins and your family does not define you. The forgiveness that you receive from Jesus and being called a child of God, that defines you. That is our overwhelming hope. We know that Josiah could have allowed his kingship to go very, very differently. He could have just settled in and said, I'm going to do what my father and my grandfather before me did because that is the path that is laid out for me. He could have done that, but he didn't. He had a choice. When confronted with sin, he had a choice. And we can see that he did a couple things that helped him in this path. And first of all, we see that when he was, uh, in his six, when he was 16, he sought the Lord for himself. Josiah wasn't content to just do what his fathers had done, to just accept what they told him about God and small g gods. He sought the Lord for himself. He wanted a relationship himself with the Lord. And that is so key for us today. We can't define our walk with Jesus. We can't define who Jesus is, who the church is, who, uh, Christ, what Christianity is by the people that came before us. You can't judge it based on that person you have to find out for yourself. You have to seek the Lord for yourself. You have to ask him to make himself known for yourself. What someone else's walk with Jesus looks like doesn't necessarily represent what he is to you. And then secondly, Josiah was a man of action. You don't have to be a super highly motivated person. You don't have to be busy every second of the day. 
But you do have to make choices in life and take action to follow God. You have to take action and make choices that put you on a path to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Josiah could be the poster child of when you know better, you do better. And we know that, and we're going to read a little bit more of his story. But if you remember, we left Josiah as he was rebuilding the temple that had been destroyed. And while he was rebuilding it, they discovered something. They discovered a book of the law, which was probably Deuteronomy. It could have been the first five books of the Bible. There's some debate about that. But he discovered the books of the law that had been lost during all of this nonsense that came before him. It had been lost. This copy of the book of the law had been tucked away in the temple, and it was discovered. And so when it was discovered, we'll read what happened. So starting at 2 Chronicles 18... Then Shaphan, the secretary, informed the king, Hilkah the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read, read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes, and he gave these orders to Hilkah, Achim, and Shaphan, Abdon, son of Micah. Shaphan, the secretary, and Isaiah, the king's attendant, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant in Israel and Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because those who have gone before us have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. Hilkah and those the king had sent with him went to speak to the prophet Hilda. And then we're going to skip down a little bit to chapter, or verse 26. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what he had spoke against this place and its people. And because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, and all the people from the least to the greatest. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord, to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, and to obey the words and the covenant the words of the covenant written in this book. Then he had everyone in Jerusalem and Benjamin pledge themselves to the people of Jerusalem, pledge themselves to it. The people of Jerusalem did this in accordance with the covenant of God, the God of their ancestors. Josiah removed all the detestable idols from all the territory belonging to the Israelites, and he had all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. As long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors. Now that is a tribute to a life. As long as he lived, they did not fail to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors. So what was Josiah's response when he was confronted with the law, when he was confronted with the truth? Because the law told him that they weren't doing things they were supposed to be doing. He had a list of things. As a king, he was supposed to read this entire law when he became king and take it to heart and enact it. And he didn't have it. He knew probably whispers of it. They knew the history of it. He knew it existed, but he had never set eyes on this himself. So what did he do when he was finally confronted with the truth that he wasn't doing what he was supposed to do? He tore his robes. He anguished. He lamented. He cried out before God. He got down on his face, and he made it right. He made it right. He acted when he was confronted with the truth. What do we do in our own lives when we are confronted with sinful patterns, with behaviors that don't honor God, with past histories that are still just lingering? We make it right. And you make it right by going to the Father and laying it at his feet and asking for forgiveness and confessing. 
the words of, Roman, of Revelation 3.20 come to mind, and it says this. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. In deep metaphorical speak today, Jesus is knocking on the doors of our hearts every single day, asking us to come into relationship with him, asking us to make right the things in our lives that aren't right with him. Godly wisdom is taking biblical truth to heart and letting it rest in you. We know this from Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. You can sing the song in your head if you need to. The rain came down, the streams rose up, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who has built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose up, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. We can be wise today as we hear the words of God, as we feel that nudging from the Holy Spirit to go back to our foundation. And what is our foundation? It's the word of God. It's our relationship with Jesus. It's what he has done for us. And here's the thing. When we come into relationship with Jesus, when you bring, for the very first time, you bring your sin, you bring your life and you lay it at his feet and you say, God, I want to live for you. Forgive me, Jesus, for the way I've lived. I'm going to turn my life around and live for you. In that moment, as you confess those sins, those sins are forgiven and they are done and you don't have to think about them anymore because they are forgiven. But, there's a but. We are human people that wake up every day and make choices. We make decisions and we continue in sinful patterns. So that moment of forgiveness, it is one and done. You are forgiven. But you have a choice every single day how you will continue to walk in that. And you continually need to ask the Holy Spirit to come into your life and address the sin patterns. Address the things that you're carrying. We are forgiven and every single day we have a choice to make. Am I going to step in and follow Jesus today? Your past, your family history, your background, it does not define your future because every single day we can be confronted with the truth from the word of God by reading it, by asking the Holy Spirit into our life every day. And in those moments, we can choose to invite him to change us. Maybe you've heard this saying before. It's been around for a long time. It's actually from the Bible. It says, the sins of the father are visited on the sins of the children, which means that if your parents were sinful, if your parents didn't follow God, then you will carry that for the rest of your life because it continues on down through your family line. We see a little bit of that here. And so maybe you think that today. It's great that you're saying I can choose that, but I'm still carrying the weight of what my family did. I'm still carrying the weight of where I came from. That's always going to be with me and beyond me. I read it in the Bible. I'm sure of it. Well, I want to set us free a little bit from that today. The scripture you're most likely thinking of is Exodus 20, verse 5, and it says this. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the, fourth, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. That sounds pretty awful, doesn't it? doesn't sound good. I, don't, I didn't sign up for that. Your past does not define your forgiveness in Jesus. And we know this because what it says here, of those who hate me. 
The children that are carrying the sins of their parents are those who have continued in the parents' sinful path. They are the ones that are continuing to hate the Lord. They are not the ones that have chosen to make themselves right with God. When you make yourself right with God, wherever you came from, whatever past you carry, it is forgiven and it is not valid anymore. It is not part of your story. You do not carry that with you anymore. And we, we just tuck into this, this beautiful, beautiful truth from Acts 10.43. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter who your parents are. It doesn't matter the history you were born into. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is forgiven. Take that into your heart today. That is such an amazing gift on this Thanksgiving Sunday. Let's be thankful that every single person that calls on the name of the Lord receives forgiveness. I can't. I can't. There are no words for that greatness. There are no words for that. So be free today. If you've ever thought, where I came from, it holds me back. I can't be all I can be in Jesus. Be set free today from Acts 10. All who call on the name of the Lord today will be forgiven. You are not punished because of the sins of your parents, because of the sins of anything else. You are responsible for your own sins. You are responsible to make those right before the Lord. But that is all. You can go back to Josiah and see that he wasn't punished for all of this nonsense that happened before him. There was consequences to that nonsense, and they had to live in those consequences, but he was not personally punished for it. If you go to 2 Kings 22, reread the Lord's response to Josiah. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard, me, when you heard what I had spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have also heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring. Josiah had to deal with the consequences of the nonsense, but the gift that was given to him is that he would die a peaceful death. That was his gift. He wasn't punished for what came before. He actually was killed in battle, which doesn't sound peaceful to me, but would have perhaps to him. It's great. <laughs> different times, different times. It's fine. I read the commentary on that because I'm like, that doesn't sound, but it, it's good. It's all good. I checked it out. No problems there. On that note, again, I say to you, your future, your forgiveness, your youthfulness, usefulness in the kingdom is not determined by your past. Romans 3, to 25 says this, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of blood to be received by faith. We have hope. We have glorious, glorious hope that no matter where you came from, no matter who you are, no matter what your family past looks like, you have hope. Hope for tomorrow, hope for a future because when you come into relationship with Jesus, you are adopted as a child of the King of Kings. And that in fact means that you now live and you are in the line of a king. You are sons and daughters of the king. Your past is not relevant in this story. It is, there are hurtful things in our past. There are hurtful things and I'm not, I'm not minimizing that. But in your spiritual path, when you 
come into relationship with Jesus, you become a son and daughter of the king. Your family line changes. You are adopted into his, and you have this incredible, incredible gift. When people ask where you came from, you could very clearly say, I came from the king of kings. Would you like to know him? Your family line has changed, and there is no shame in that. As we close today on this Thanksgiving Sunday, I have two thoughts. If you are already, well, I had a lot of thoughts. I'm going to close with two. <laughs> if you are already a follower of Jesus and you have ever thought that your past, your family history excludes you, I want you to be free from that today. You do not need to carry that weight. It is not yours to carry. And so Pastor Tracy and the team are going to come up and lead us just in a closing song. Take a minute. If, if you are comfortable raising your hands, raise your hands in an act of surrender and say, this is not mine to carry anymore. Lord, I choose to live in the truth that I am a son and daughter of the king and I want to be changed by you. And secondly, if you have never accepted Jesus in your life and you've heard us talking about it, I don't know what you're waiting for. You have the opportunity today to be made a son and daughter of the king. And what a tremendous gift. I can think of no better way, actually, to celebrate Thanksgiving Sunday than to do that. And you do that by acknowledging that you are a sinful person, asking Jesus to forgive you, inviting him to be a part of your life, surrender your life to him, and choosing to walk in his ways. If that's something you would like to do, you can leave a comment online. Pastor Ethan would love to interact with you. If you're in, the pers in person, we would love to help you with that. But you can be set free today. Let's pray. Lord, you are such a good, good God. We are your sons and daughters. We are so grateful that you call us out of our sin and offer a way for redemption and freedom. And so today, Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would take that deeply into our hearts. Maybe we're not struggling with our past, but that truth needs to be nestled in again today. I pray, God, that you would nestle that truth in our hearts, that we are your children, that we are sons and daughters of the King, and that our past does not define our future. And Lord, if there are those that have never come into relationship with you. They don't know what that's about, but they want to. I pray, God, that you would help them to take those next steps, that you would put people in their path to lead them in those next steps. God, we, we love you so much, and you have changed our lives. We want that for everyone. And so I pray, God, today that there will be people that will make a decision to follow you that have never done that before because they understand that you can change their lives. We thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for your truth. In your name. Thank you.